Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. He's Corey Geiger, back once again. I'm Jared Frugar. We are your hosts. Corey, it's combine time, but let's be real. Penn State has always showed up at the combine and, and, and really done a great job. And we've talked about this over the past couple of podcasts. I know I touched on it last, last week uh, while you were out, but what's happening at the combine isn't indicative of what Penn state's doing on the field. Why is that? Why is there, why is that, that not meshing right now? Yeah, it really is an intriguing component of, because Penn state has really, really good football players and good athletes. You get that by recruiting well, and they certainly have recruited well, and they've developed them well. Dwight Galt did, you know, really a sensational job, the former strength and conditioning coach, and they sent these guys to the NFL. We'll break down some individual numbers and names here in a minute, but despite last year's class, this year's NFL class, Penn State went four and five in 2020, and then seven and six in 2021, so And yet they've got eight players at the combine. So I've seen a few people mention this, Jared. They've got more players at the combine than they had wins last season. (laughs) Uh, That's probably not a good thing. No, right. I mean, Penn State's win totals the last few seasons haven't been ideal. Obviously, you have 2020, which was a disaster. This year was not great either. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the the athletes are – are, are doing well it's just they're not coming together on the field to make it worthwhile and I think that's the thing that you have to figure out you know it's great that Penn State's producing NFL talent they have some some of the some of the greats in the game right now they have Micah Parsons uh, with the Cowboys they have Donovan Smith they have Chris Godwin they have the people there they're that they're producing. And I think and even the ancient or the ageless wonder, Robbie Gold is a Penn State product. So there's, you know, that's a situation where, hey, what the hell are we doing here? Are we just producing NFL talent? Or do we want it to translate to wins and, and translate to wins on the field and, and getting back to the to a premier bowl game and getting back or getting to the college football playoff back in the national title, title hope uh, race? And, you know, that's the identity that they have to figure out. 
You know, Jared, it's just it's just bizarre. Okay, uh, l- let me give you one case in point. Pat Frymuth played the first four games of the 2020 season. Penn State lost all four. Then they lost a fifth. He's a second round pick. He looks like an NFL star. After Pat Fryermuth was out, Penn State won its final four games of the season in 2020. So you've got a second round pick who go, you go 0 for 0 for 0 and 4 with him. Now, obviously, Micah Parsons did not play in 2020. He opted out. But you had Odafe Owe, who was Jason Owe at the time, who had no sacks in 2020, and yet one of, was one of the best pass rushers in the NFL as a rookie in 2021. And so those are the things that just don't make any damn sense, okay? And so, like, this past year, in 2021, you've got John Dotson, who I will make a case is the best wide receiver ever while at Penn State. Not necessarily how he does in the NFL, but I think while he was at Penn State, I can make a case that Jahan Dotson's the best wide receiver they've ever had there. Allen Robinson would certainly be in that discussion as well. Arnold Ebicady, probable first-round draft pick. Jaquan Brisker, first, second-round draft pick, most likely second round. Brandon Smith may get into the second round. Uh, you know, so that that's what's fascinating, Jared, is they've got really good players, really good pro prospects, and that's what's to be perfectly honest with you, I think that's what pisses off fans about James Franklin, about just the Penn State program in general, that you've got all these good recruits coming in and you're sending them to the NFL, and at least the last couple of years, you're just not winning good, winning enough with them. Right, and, that, and that's the thing. I mean, the results matter on the field. I mean, the combine is great individually but it really doesn't do anything for the program other than saying, Hey, listen, our strength and conditioning program is, is pretty elite, but strength and conditioning programs don't win games, offensive execution, defensive execution, those win games. Um, And that's the, that's the issue. So, I mean, what do you do? How do you make that better? You got to get better on Saturdays because that's also going to get you noticed too. Like, like you talked about, oh, he had, he did not have a great statistical year last year. He didn't record a sack. Now he's a nuisance for, for teams in the AFC North. And that's, you know, that's both the beauty and the, um, the challenge of college football is do you sell out and are you, do you want to play on Sundays or do you want to win on Saturdays and get your team to the national championship? And that's what Penn State, I think, needs to to to, to realize because they're going to pr- produce. They've always produced NFL talent, but it's hey, that talent's got to got to perform on the field. Yeah, and really, again, it's just so it's it's just perplexing. I wish I had the answer. Let's look at Rashid Walker. Okay, Rashid Walker was projected to be a first round draft pick before the 2021 season started. Then he has, we think, a bad season because the, all the offensive linemen were bad. 
and and then he gets hurt and misses the final few games. Would you be stunned, Jared, if Rasheed Walker plays in the NFL for 10 years? No, not at all. Right. And so what happened to him this year then, or, or in, in the 2021 season? What happened? We, we, you and I talked about this on my radio show the other day with about, about Donovan Smith. Same deal. Donovan Smith did not have a great final season at Penn State. I want to say it was 2014, 2015. Um, and yet he's one of the best left tackles in the NFL. Now, again, that's going got a ways back. But it, it just epitomizes, what if Brandon Smith, Brandon Smith to me was an average linebacker. We have seen phenomenal linebackers at Penn State for the last 20 decades. It's basically forever, but for the last for the last two decades, rather, 20 years, you know, with Paul Pozlozny, Sean Lee, Navarro Bowman. I mean, we've seen star after star after star and just fantastic line. Brandon Smith might get drafted earlier than some of those guys, a Sean Lee or Paul Pozlozny. He, he actually might go, you know, in the early second round, mid-second round. He was an average college linebacker, Jared, but he's got all the physical skills. He was a five-star recruit. You know, I, I kind of would be surprised if Brandon Smith goes on and have, has a great NFL. But, it, you know, he probably he could. He certainly has the physical skills. So why isn't Penn State able to maximize? Is there something going on within the program, within the wage? I wish I had an answer. I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm basically just airing the grievances that Penn State fans have because you see the skill level of all these guys, and yet I'm going to remember Brandon Smith whiffing on tackle after tackle after tackle in college. No matter what he does in the NFL, I'm going to remember that he wasn't a great tackler in college. I'm going to remember that Donovan Smith wasn't a great left tackle at Penn State. Rasheed Walker had a massively disappointing year. But yet these guys could all go into the, into the NFL and play very well. Yeah, I mean that's that's what makes it kind of weird, right? I mean, they they could be so so and then be very very good at the next level, um, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for them moving forward because I think there are a couple of guys that could turn some heads, uh, like a Jesse Lucetta, even Jordan Stout. I think has the potential to to really do some work um, at the combine. I love Jordan Stout. I think Jordan Stout will be in the NFL. For 10 years, I think. Okay, I was a little. Uh, Puzlesny was the 34th pick overall. So, so Brandon uh, Brandon Smith will not go before Puzlesny. Uh, Sean Lee, I think, slipped a little bit. He slipped because he was injured. He slipped to the 55th pick. Brandon Lee or Brandon Smith could get picked earlier in the uh, in the NFL draft than Sean Lee did. Navarro Bowman, who quite frankly is the best Penn State linebacker in the NFL of the last 30 or 40 years, going back to maybe Shane Conlon. I mean, Navarro Bowman was a uh, four-time first-team All-Pro for people who don't realize how dominant he was. He wasn't picked until the 91st pick, so right at the end of the third round. And yet, you know, he ended up being becoming an NFL superstar for a four, four-year period before he got hurt. Uh, that, look, that's going way back before James Franklin. But the point is, Brandon Smith could be picked ahead of all those guys. Um, so you just, it's hard to pinpoint what the issues are with James Franklin and his coaching staff during games. 
why are they not ready to play early on? Why do they miss tackles? Why do they make a lot of mistakes? Because most games outside of Ohio State, maybe Michigan, you got to say, Jared, Penn State's got better players than every single team that they play outside of Ohio State in, in pretty much any given year. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the talent is definitely there. I think that's not – I don't think that's really a debate. It's just the execution. Now, a lot of that could be coaching. A lot of that could be game plan and scheming and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, it, it's really interesting um, how, to, how, how you can look at it. But when we come back here in the second segment, we'll dive a little bit deeper into why things aren't adding up on game days. Welcome back to the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Pugar. Game days are usually good for Penn State. Of late, they haven't been that great. Typically at Beaver Stadium, they've been playing rather well. Then you get into nine overtimes and you lose to Illinois. Uh, and you just kind of scratch your head, scratch you know everything in your body and wonder what the hell did we just watch and why did that happen? Um, luckily I was at a wedding that day. So thankfully I missed that travesty, but the results just aren't adding up on the field, Corey. And, you know, say what you want about James Franklin off the field. We, I think he's a great leader. I think he's a great recruiter, but games and wins matter too. What we've, and we, we've discussed this a good bit, you know, over the months, Jared, what, what we've got to figure out, what James Franklin has got to figure out is just exactly, you know, what their identity is from the first snap of the game until the end. He has been, he and his staff have been excellent at making adjustments at halftime, but those adjustments have to come quicker. Um, the offensive line, we can, we, we got to get into that because as, as we're talking, we, we can talk to her blue in the face about improvements Penn State's got to make. Everything starts with the offensive line, and that will absolutely be the biggest focus, I think, in spring ball, which starts here in, in a couple weeks. But what are they? What, what is Penn State football, Jared? Let me ask you this. What is the identity of Penn State's offense? Do you can – you, can you guess? Do you have any idea what their identity is? Ah, uh, that's a good question, Corey. It's not three. It's not three runs in a cloud of dust. No. Um, and I they didn't have an identity in the last two years. To be perfectly honest with you, offensively, in 2020 they didn't. Last year, it was get the ball to Jahan Dotson and hope for the best because they didn't have a running game. The tight ends were non-existent later in the season. Uh, but yeah, I ugh, there is no identity right now. So you have you had Jahan Dotson a fantastic receiver and you went 11 and 11 with him over the last two years, Sean Clifford, a 23 year old guy in his third year as a starting quarterback and struggled. And again, it all, it all starts with that offensive line. So to me, as we're talking about the combine and preparing guys for the NFL, 
Penn State does an exceptional job. They really do. They they do. It's probably the thing that they do as well as anything else in the program is they develop guys physically. Okay, so if you've got big, physical, strong offensive linemen, why aren't they very good during games? Okay, this is, I know it may sound like beating a dead horse, but the horse will continue to be dead until Penn State gets this figured out. And because they're not going to be able to accomplish anything as a program. The reason they turn things on at the end of the 2019 season, James Franklin will like to say, and a lot of people will like to say, oh, well, Sean Clifford was really good in 2019. He wasn't. He was at, he was average. What was really good in 2019 was Journey Brown and the running game got going for the second half of the year. And that made their offense a whole lot better. So of all the things that we're sitting here talking about, you, you helped develop Arnold Ebicady into a first-round pick. I think Tariq Castro-Fields could be a good pro. You, you've got players on both sides of the ball who you think can develop into good pros. And yet, from an offensive line standpoint, you basically look relatively incompetent as a program. I just, I, I struggle mightily trying to figure out how that is the case. Yeah, I mean, I, the offensive line set issues for quite some time. It's just there's just a lot there to digest. I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to execution. There have been a couple of times missed assignments, missed blocks, missed reads. That's an issue. Uh, the almighty turnover was an issue in 20, uh, 2020 um, with Clifford. I think he has been okay, not great, not overly good, just kind of there, just kind of okay. And when you come in and you take over for a guy like, like Trace McSorley, I mean, he's a battler. He's a grinder. He's a gamer. You know, at the Citrus Bowl, he breaks – He's Penn State announces that he breaks his foot or whatever, and then he comes back, and they almost come back and win the game. Now, of course, that – who knows whether what the deal with his foot was in that game. Um, but, you know, when you come in from after a guy like Trace McSorley – it's tough to follow in those shoes. And, you know, the quarterback play has been suspected best the last two years. Um, even in 2019, it wasn't the greatest by any means. But now, you know, now you got it. The results have to come. He's going to be a four-year starter. Um, the running game has to be developed. And, I mean, the receivers have to step up. And they, you have to find that identity. Uh, like under Joe Moorhead, we knew what they were going to do. It was going to be RPO. We were going to. They were going to gas you. They were going to go for the home run, and and it worked. And that led to Joe Moorhead going to Mississippi State. And now um, now he's at Akron. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking back over their draft picks here. Now, we all know the state of the program from an offensive line standpoint when James took over in 2015. The way things had to work for Bill O'Brien – he really couldn't recruit offensive linemen. He had to recruit skilled players because of the limited scholarships. So I give James Franklin a pass, really, from an offensive line standpoint early on in his tenure. So here are the linemen. Here are the offensive linemen drafted who have played for Penn State during the James Franklin era. Donovan Smith in 2015, 
Then you've got to go to Connor McGovern. Donovan Smith went in the second round in 2015. Connor McGovern went in the third round in 2019, center. Then they actually had two guys drafted last year in the seventh round, Michael Minnett, Will Fries. Uh, I'm not certain if either one of them played a whole lot. I'm not, I'd have to double check. I, I, I don't think, I think Minnett might've gotten cut pretty early on. I'd have to check on Fries. So there have been four offensive linemen, Jared, drafted during James Franklin's tenure. Four. Now, Rasheed Walker will get drafted. Uh, so that, that'll be one more. But again, when we're singing the praises of the Penn State football program for preparing guys for the NFL and for the draft, you just look all over the place. You got positions all over the place where they've done a nice job, except for offensive line. And so I, if we could sit down and really get truthful, honest answer, I, not that we really get a lot of really in-depth, honest answers from James Franklin. He gives us bits and pieces of information. I'd love to pick James Franklin's brain for an hour and find out exactly if, if, if he would be honest, not that he ever would publicly, why the offensive line development is so staggeringly behind basically every other position on the team. Right. Uh, I mean, Ryan Bates is in there too. I think he plays for the Bills. I think um, he was undrafted though. Yes. Yes. Right. He wasn't, un, he wasn't drafted. A lot of those guys haven't been drafted. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a position group that's been desperate for success for quite some time. Um, and, and it, it's weird to kind of look at it like that because yeah, you know, they're not having success. They're not having that success on the field, but that's a position where it's hard to, to evaluate. So we're going to have to bring somebody in that's, uh, that's got some vast offensive line experience and, and really pick their brains and see. But you know what, Jared, you brought Final up a matters. good point. You brought up a good point on my radio show there that when we were talking about this is uh, we're not looking at the all 22. We're, we're not looking, we're not zeroing in on every single lineman and exactly what they're doing on every single play. That's not what football fans do. That's not what the media does. Jared, I'm watching the ball, man. You're watching the ball. Fans are watching the ball. The TV cameras are showing the ball. I'm not sitting there watching what Rasheed Walker was doing with his hands and his feet on third and five in some mid-season game. That's what these places like pro football focus and all these guys, that, that's what they're supposed to be doing. Um, but man, I, I, for as much as James Franklin talks about how they self scout, that they track everything. They track every pass by every quarterback. They track, track every kick by every punter, every place kicker, every ball thrown to every receiver they, they have mountains and mountains of information. I would love to see the mountains of information on what they think they're getting out of their offensive linemen. Yeah, I, I would love to see the scouting reports. I would love to see and, and really analyze those sorts of things because I think that's, um, I think that matters. But, I mean, let's be real here. You know, before we go to the next segment, you know, we talk about size and things all the time now. 
and, and Rashid Walker fits the bill of, of a first round offensive guard, offensive tackle type player. But size matters not for others along, around the field. I mean, now we're looking at 40 times in the four twos, four threes. A 4-4-1 that Jahan Dotson ran was pretty slow in comparison to his peers. That never used to be the case. Yeah, Jahan is going to make his money with his hands because he never drops anything. He, he ran a 4-4-1, and, that, and that's pretty good. Um, but he it's not like he's six foot three, six foot five, or anything like that. Brandon Smith, I think I saw, uh, again, one of the workout warriors, and this was to be expected because Brandon Smith, was as good of an athlete as they had on that in that program. I think he ran the tied for the fourth or fifth fastest time uh, among linebackers uh, at the combine uh, on Saturday. So again, um, none of that's a surprise. The combine time, the pro day. We'll see pro day here. Uh, I, I think this is the fourteenth or somewhere ninth or the fourteenth. Mm -hmm. They'll they'll do great. These guys are going to crush it. Penn State put out a video the other day on uh, social media with Nick Singleton crushing it, you know, in the weightlifting, even Drew Aller and some other guys, um, because that's what they do. That's what the program does really, really well. But in, in all of the self-evaluation that we've talked extensively about, that James Franklin, if he's going to earn his money for his 10-year contract, I don't want to have to come on here any other year, Jared, and say they've got more guys at the combine than they had wins. Cause that's freaking absurd. Yeah. If you if you've got eight guys good enough to the combine, go to the combine, you should have more than seven freaking wins. You're absolutely right, Corey. You're absolutely right. And you know, that's kind of one of those things. But, I mean, we brought up size. We're going to talk about that more in, the, in segment three. The size matters to some, but size doesn't always matter. You know, they might look like Tarzan and play like Jane. And I think that matters, too, when it comes to, re to evaluating talent and, and things of that nature. But we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back for segment three when Corey and I talk about why size does matter in certain areas and not in others. Welcome back to the We Are Podcast and the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. He's Geiger. I'm Prugar. Corey, there was a lot of talk about some specific sizes of body parts this week leading up to the combine. The measurements are in. Kenny Pickett's hand was the most talked about measurement in quite some time. And why is that, Corey? Why does his hand size matter? Yeah, it's fascinating because folks listening to this, maybe a lot of them are Steelers fans. Um, but, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is as good as there's ever been with the pump fake. The pump fake that Ben, when you, 
you know, and you're kind of whipping the ball forward, you know, relatively quick. And then you pull it back and the defenders all bite. And then Big Ben is able to make a, a, a big throw as he did many times in his career. That's one thing about hand size. When you don't have the biggest hands, you know, the more you're moving the ball around you know, all over the place, um, the more likely it is that the ball is going to come out of your hand. Now, Kenny Pickett wears a glove on his throwing hand. I'm sure he'll do that in the NFL. That can help from a stickiness and adhesive kind of standpoint. But, but here's what's fascinating because you'll hear people, Mel Kuyper Jr. says everybody laughed it off. They laughed it off. The hand size doesn't matter. This side of the. Okay. All right. You know, you know, it, it doesn't matter, Jared. The hand size doesn't matter until it actually does. All right. There, there is a number. And I don't know what the number is, and the sports scientists would, you know, would have to truly break down all aspects of what a quarterback does. There is a number where I'll guarantee you the hand size does matter. You're not going to have a quarterback in the NFL with a six-inch hand size. <laughs> I guess I'm not sure what it, what kind of size person you'd be to have a six-inch hand size, but it'd be pretty small. That you're not going to have a six-inch hand size in the NFL. Seven? I doubt it. Seven. Well, what about seven and a half? What about seven and three quarter? Could, could you be physically capable of playing quarterback in the NFL with a seven and three quarter inch hands, eight inch hands? There's no quarterback in the NFL currently with a hand size under nine. Okay. Well, can you play under nine? Mike Vick was an 8.5. He played. Now he was an electric dual threat kind of guy. But what's interesting to me about all this, Jared, is we, we all, everybody can do this. Go get, go get a ruler in your house. Go get a ruler. Extend your pinky finger and your thumb as wide as you can. Measure your own hand. And you can get a feel for how you would compare to Kenny Pickett. Hey, Jared, I've, I'm 5'8". I don't really have all that big of hands. I'm 5'8". I'm I've got normal size hands for a 5'8 person. I can palm a women's basketball. I can't palm a men's basketball. I can throw a football pretty well, but especially with my kid, we, we'll get the throw, a smaller football out there. My hand size, I measured it, nine inches. I'm five foot eight. Basically every adult I've ever met in my life that's bigger than me, that I've shook their hand, has a bigger hand than me. And my hand size measures at nine. I'm blown away. I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. It's stunning to me. Now, whether this matters or not, we'll see. But it is pretty damn stunning to me that a six-foot-three man would have eight-and-a-half-inch hands. Yeah. Personally, uh, for me, my driver's license tells me I'm 5'7". Uh, the doctor told me I was 5'5". Five five. I don't know who to believe there, but I'm going to go with my driver's license. Mine is eight, uh, eight and three-quarters. I measured uh, the other day with a – You are legitimately, what, 5'5"? Five five. That's what they tell me. And I don't your like to hand admit it. is eight and three quarters inches. Yes. You are 10 inches shorter than Kenny Pickett, and his hand size is smaller than yours. So you're telling me I should be in the NFL? I, I just say that, again, I don't know what kind of quarterback. And if Pitt fans are listening to this and saying, oh, there's Geiger hating on Pitt, I'm not. I'm telling you, I'm an average five foot eight male, and I have smaller hands than most adults that I meet mm -hmm. that are, you know, typically bigger than me. 
and my hand is nine inches. It's my nine issue, inches. my issue is I can't see over the offensive line. Yeah, sure, right. I, I wouldn't be able to either. And look, Kenny Pickett may become a superstar. I hope he does. All I'm saying is, if you're saying hand size doesn't matter, you're wrong. It will matter at some point. Now, what that point is, we don't know. Is it eight and a half? Again, Mike Vick was good with eight and a half. Maybe Kenny Pickett can be good with eight and a half. Is it eight? The, all I'm trying to say is hand size will matter at some point because it will take away certain things that a quarterback might be able to do with the ball that can provide a strategic advantage in some way, like Ben, Big Ben's pump fake. You know, Patrick Mahomes does a pump fake pretty well. Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers both throw the ball sidearm. Yeah, I'm just pulling stuff out of my butt. You know what I'm saying? But at some point, if your hand is small enough, it will prevent you from doing certain types of things. Right. Now, there are other, I think, drills at the combine that are starting to become obsolete. I think the one is honestly the 40. Um, you know, the, some of the numbers that were being put up, four twos, four threes, those are insane numbers. It takes me longer than that just to stand up between my knees popping and my back cracking uh, from a chair on a given day. But you look at a guy like Jahan Dotson, we mentioned this earlier in the podcast, he ran a four four one A couple of years ago, that was an incredible number. Now it's kind of, it's middle of the road. That's not even top 10 of, of players that performed at the combine this week, in, in, especially in his, uh, his position group. So the 40, obviously is a 40 yard dash. You, you're sprinting 40 yards straight ahead. No, no cuts, no, whatever, which very rarely happens um, in a game or let alone practice. So to me, I think the 40 is a great barometer of speed. Yes. But it's starting to become less and less relevant once they get out on the field. Well, I did see, I, I will, along that line, I will point out this uh, ESPN story. Georgia has a lineman who weighs 341 pounds. He was 478, right? <laughs> he ran a 478. Now, that's pretty freaking impressive. Hey, look, I'm going to close. As we close our, our podcast here, um, I hate the combine. That's, that's my personal. I, I hate it. I, I don't care for this stuff at all. For this reason. Um, you can watch a guy on the field for three or four years and he can kick ass and take names left and right every week. But if he struggles at the combine, which is a meat market and a, and a numbers crunch job interview, we run the, you run the risk of him, his stock plummeting. I don't think that's right. Um, I think if a guy's kicking ass and taking names, for three or four years in college football, to me, that's more important than what these guys do in a workout to, to a degree. I'm not, I'm not saying you can go out there and run a 5-5-40. The numbers are, are important, just like Kenny Pickett's hand size. That every number and metric is important to some degree. But the flip side as well, you can have guys, man, Jared, who are average mediocre players for three or four years they'll go to the combine like i said brandon smith 
And I wish Brandon Smith the best. He is a very nice, intelligent, well-spoken, really good guy. I wish Brandon Smith the best. You're telling me he's a second-round draft pick, Jared. A second-round draft pick. Not based on how he performed at Penn State. Brandon Smith is about as, as average of a linebacker as Penn State has had in the last 15 or 20 years. He is average across the board, and he's a below-average tackler. But he's going to go kick ass at the combine. He's going to put up all these numbers, and he's going to he's going to boost himself. And I I just don't like it. I I hate it. It it really it truly is my least favorite thing. Uh, I don't know about it, in all sports, but it's my least favorite thing in football. My least favorite thing in all sports is unwritten rules in baseball. We can talk for 10 hours about that. Baseball someday. doesn't exist. Yeah. But the, the combine, Jared, with so much emphasis placed on these numbers, man, and it's the difference between 30, 40, 50 draft spots and millions of dollars. I just call bullshit on the whole thing. Yeah, and I think that's fair because to me, when are you ever not going to have pads on on the field? Now, Unless you're Antonio Brown, you take them off middle of the game and, and start running through the end zones. But you're hey, never you're real quick. Christian on. Christian Hackenberg tore it the hell up at his pro day and was a second round pick. Case closed. Marcus Russell could throw the ball 700 feet on his knees, but he couldn't read the defense. But it's March, Corey. It's the best time of the year. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that my favorite team. I know media guys aren't really always supposed to be fans, but it's a team that I don't cover. It's Carolina basketball. They beat Duke Saturday night. Have to, you know, they sent Coach K out of Cameron Indoor Stadium with the L. Have to, have to enjoy that. Corey, I know that your Syracuse Orange aren't really doing the hottest right now, but at least Jim Beheim gets to hang out with his family. Yeah. Hey, Jared, I love March Madness. Maybe we can do some more of that later on. I will say this. Uh, I have a I have kind of a fun story at DK Pittsburgh Sports. I ranked the best coaches in American sports right now, the 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 five best coaches in American sports right now, and I wanted to kind of see where Kale Sanderson uh, belonged on that list. Um, let me say this: Have you been a Carolina fan for a really long time? Since I was about six years old. You know, Duke and Mike Shashevsky is on my list for for as 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 many superstars as Duke has had and for as many top five and top 10 teams as Duke has had. And I say only because it's, you know, it's, it's all relative. It surprised me. Mike Krzyzewski only has five titles because Duke is one of the five favorites to win the title basically every single year. And so I am kind of a Duke hater. I am sure you're a Duke hater as a Carolina fan. But I, for, for as, as, as much talent as he has had there forever, I, it, I, as a Carolina fan, are you able to have an unbiased opinion about Krzyzewski on whether or not he truly has lived up to expectations every year? I think since the, game, since the collegiate model has changed, um... It, it, like the one and dones, I think things have been different for him. I mean, I'm looking at a statistic here. I love Roy Williams. I love Dean Smith. I, I love what they were able to do for the game of basketball. Uh, Dean Smith is clearly the reason why there's a shot clock. Um, 
But since 2003, 2004, this is Roy Williams and, and Coach K. Three national titles to two. Roy Williams has the advantage. Five final fours to three. Seven number one NCAA tournament seeds to six. Eight ACC regular season titles to three. The 2003-2004 was Roy Williams' first season at Carolina. I love Coach Krzyzewski. Um, I love him, especially when he coaches the United States, when he coaches the United States national team. At Duke, eh, twice a year, not a fan. But I think that those expectations he set in his career or were so lofty to maintain that and, and attain those goals every year is very difficult. I mean, it's, just, it's very it's easy to win. Um, not necessarily easy to win, but once you win, that's great. But staying there is the hardest part. And I think when the collegiate model switched to the one and dones and the transfer portal, that's when Duke hasn't been as successful. And neither is Carolina, to be honest. Calipari mastered that, won some titles. Now, you know, the world is catching up again. But you know, now we're seeing in the tournament, and I think I'm very excited to see this. You know, the teams are the ones that win. The ones that play as teams are the ones that will have this success in March. It's funny because I was uh, I went to the Duquesne LaSalle game. Assistant coach for LaSalle is Pat Chambers, former Penn State um, head coach. And one of the things that I remember the most is that 2020 Penn State team, how close they were as a team. And how they could have easily went on a run in the NCAA tournament, even Big Ten tournament. Um, and they were obviously robbed of that. But they were a team. They were a close-knit group. And that's, that's really where there's value still in the Gonzagas, the Villanovas, those teams. As hard as it is for me to say anything positive about Villanova after what Scotty Reynolds did to Robert Morris uh, in the NCAA tournament, quite a few um, – while quite a quite a bit a couple of years ago i love the tournament and it's always been my favorite thing in sports the the ncaa tournament does not tell you who the best team in college basketball is the ncaa tournament is who can win six games in a row okay some years you do get the best team winning it most years you don't you get a team that wins six games in a row, okay? So, um, in all fairness to Coach K, there were a lot of years where Duke just either didn't show up or had a bad night or had a bad matchup in the tournament, and, and they lost. One was to C.J. McCollum and Lehigh as a 215 seed. But, again, I, I just know that when you're Duke – here's the thing, Jared. When you're Duke and you're – a one, two, or three seed every single year. I mean, every year. I I know five national titles is a lot, and that's sensational. But those numbers you read off compared to Roy Williams, you would I would I would just think Duke would have won more. Because yeah, again, when absolutely. you're a top when you're a top three seed every year, your first two games should be a given. You're playing a 14 mm. and then you're playing a six at, at worst you're playing a 14 and then a six at worst in the first two rounds you should be in the sweet 16 before you even wake up okay as a one two or three seed and so uh i, I as great as Krzyzewski is 
And and I'm sure you loved it. Carolina destroyed them in the second half. Saturday yeah, well, and listen, I, I I was fortunate enough to see Duke blow the doors off of Carolina at Carolina this year. So now so you got to see the other side. This is a six this is a sweet sense of satisfaction. But that's why March is mad. That's why they call it March Madness. Things happen that shouldn't ever happen. And no, that is the thing. Uh, again, I'll reiterate this. The NCAA tournament is not, absolutely not, about finding the best team in the country. You might get it every three, four years, but the NCAA tournament is about who can win six games in a row. Uh, I'm, I'm a Syracuse fan. They won it once with Carmelo in 03. And, I, you know, it's not about beating a bunch of one seeds or two seeds. In fact, you hope that ones and twos and three seeds lose. You want the easiest damn path possible. Because, again, you're not out to prove that you're better than everybody else. You're out to win six games in a row. So, right. with, that, with that said, good luck in your bracket to everybody. Yes, good luck with your brackets as you, as you fill those out. Maybe we'll have to do a – we'll do a bracket poll here with the We Are podcast. Absolutely, man. You um, good in the bra- are you good in the brackets, Jared? It depends on the year. Um, but for Corey Geiger – Hang on, this- I want to say this because this is pre- preview preview. I won four – I think four grand – when Syracuse won in 2003, because I had them in a bunch of high-profile brackets, and they won, and I had them winning it with Carmelo. So because I went out on a flyer, I won more than four grand that year. I've won about eight grand total. I'm pretty good at the bracket, but the key with the bracket is you got to find some three, fours, and five seeds that you think are going to advance. So I I absolutely want to have a podcast where we – do some bracket previews jared i'm gonna be in florida here in a week and a half but we got to find a way to do that man yes for sure but for Corey geiger this has been jared Prigar. enjoy the rest of the month of march because it is sure to be mad and we'll be right here along every step of the way here on the we are podcast on the dk pittsburgh sports podcasting network have a great and safe week everybody